This sermon was preached at University Park Baptist Church in Houston, Texas. For more information about UPBC, visit upbchouston.org. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. If you are leaving for Children's Church, uh, go meet Deacon Foley there in the back uh, by the exit door. If you're staying with us this morning, if you would, open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. You will recall that Paul's letter to the Ephesians is six chapters long. And it's perfectly bifurcated between the indicative and the imperative. The first three chapters of Ephesians, chapters 1, 2, and 3 are the indicative. They indicate, they tell us what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. In the last three chapters, chapters 4, 5, and 6, they are the imperative chapters. They implore us, they urge us, they exhort us to obey God in Jesus Christ. We see this transition clearly from the indicative chapters to the imperative chapters, particularly in Ephesians chapter 4. So going from chapter 3 to chapter 4, verse 1, we see this transition when Paul writes, I, therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. And from chapter 4, verse 1, through the rest of his letter, the Apostle Paul is unpacking for us what it means to walk in a manner worthy of our calling as Christians. So in chapter 4, Paul tells us to walk in a worthy manner, verse 1. In verse 17, Paul says, don't walk like the unbelievers do in the futility of their minds. As we turn this morning to chapter 5, Paul continues his walk with us as he encourages, encourages us to walk in love, verse 2, to walk in light, verse 8, to walk in wisdom, verse 15. And so as we come to our chapter 5 this morning, we'll consider the first two admonitions. Paul's first two admonitions here, walk in love and walk in light. Look with me at Ephesians 5. Verses 1 through 14. Ephesians 5, verses 1 through 14. Paul writes, Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you, as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead, let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure, or who is covetous, that is, an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partners with them, for at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true, and try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. 
Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. This is God's word to you this morning. We're going to consider these 14 verses in one thesis sentence that breaks up into three sections. So if you're taking notes, this is the thesis of the sermon with three sections. Be imitators of God. Be imitators of God by walking in love and walking in light. So be imitators of God by walking in love and walking in light. Let's take a moment now and pray and ask God to be with us as we consider his word. Let's pray. O oh God of heaven, we are thankful to gather around your word this morning. God, we pray that we would receive your word as beloved children. We are thankful for the Lord Jesus Christ who loved us and gave himself up for us. And so, God, we pray that you would speak by your spirit as we consider your word. Speak, O oh Lord, your servants are listening. We pray for Jesus' sake. Amen. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1, Paul writes, Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. From the outset of chapter 5, Paul makes this exhortation a family exhortation. It's a family exhortation. So brothers and sisters in Christ, you need to know that we are beloved children of God our Father. And since we are beloved children of God our Father, brothers and sisters, we ought to bear the family resemblance. We ought to bear the family resemblance. Every family has family traits. And for most of us, there's that moment in your life where you realize, much to some's chagrin, that you have become your parents. For others of us who have children, there's that moment in your life where you realize that your children are becoming you. Sometimes that's a good thing. Other times that's a convicting thing. I remember uh, after living in Washington, D.C. for about four and a half years, Lindsay and I moved home with, uh, with our two, with, at the time, two children, uh, Emma and Carter. And I remember uh, coming home, this is in 2015, and I remember uh, going and visiting my parents and realizing that my dad wore uh, uh, Columbia and Magellan fishing shirts all the time. And I thought, that's awfully strange. I mean, he fishes semi-regularly, but if you're at home and it's October, why do you need to have a Magellan shirt, fishing shirt on? A couple years ago, I went to an elders meeting and I walked in with a uh, Magellan fishing shirt on and I looked at Stacy Kaufman and I said, hey, it's a dad shirt. And I realized that Stacy Kaufman too wears Magellan and Columbia <laughs> shirts. And then I had realized in that moment, I had become my dad. And if any of you know, half of my wardrobe now is Columbia and Magellan fishing shirts. It is so hot in Houston, there's no reason not to have those kind of shirts and to wear them year-round. There was wisdom in my father's wardrobe choices. 
I see my children and I see Carter in particular do things and I think to myself, my goodness, he is my child. And I think some of you know what I mean. You see your parents and you become like them. You see your children and you see that they are becoming like you. They bear the family resemblance. Well, you know, the Apostle Paul told us in Ephesians chapter 1 that before the foundation of the world, that God predestined us for adoption as his beloved children. He adopted us through Jesus Christ, our elder brother, and he sealed us with the spirit of adoption, and then he gave us good works as a good father does, and he called us to walk in those good works. Therefore, Paul says here in chapter 5, verse 1, we ought to imitate God, our Father, as beloved children. Brothers and sisters in Christ, we are beloved children of God, adopted into the family of God through Jesus Christ, and so we ought to look like our Father in heaven and his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Incidentally, if you're here this morning and and you're not a Christian, We are so thankful that you're here with us. We're glad you've joined with us today to worship God. But I want you to know that you, this morning, you have a front row seat to a family meeting. You have a front row seat to a family exhortation. These words of God that we're considering, they're given as an exhortation to God's beloved children. To God's beloved children, those of us who were once walking dead in our trespasses and sins, We were once following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the wicked spirit spirit that is even now at work in the sons of disobedience. And so, friend, we're glad that you're here with us to consider these words. But you need to know that these words are for God's children. And so I would ask you this morning as as we consider these words to ask yourself this question. Are you walking after the course of this world? Are you following the prince of the power of the air? Who is it that you are imitating in your life? For many of us here today, we can testify that God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, made us alive. We were once dead in sin, but now we're alive in Jesus Christ. He adopted us into the family of God through Jesus Christ the Lord. And he gave us good works to do that we may walk in them, as Paul calls us to. And so, friend, friend, it is critical for you to understand that when Paul says, be imitators of God as beloved children, this exhortation and all that comes after it is an exhortation to those who are adopted into the family of God through faith in Jesus Christ. It is not a command for you to win God's favor. It is an exhortation for his beloved children. And so we invite you this morning to listen in to our family meeting, to listen in to this family affair. And who knows, by God's grace and the power of God's spirit, maybe even you too will see the beauty of Jesus Christ and even today become a beloved child of God. Brothers and sisters in Christ, you need to hear as well the great affection that God has for us as his beloved children. This great affection that God has for us so that we will not grow weary in doing good. 
the command to be imitators of God, to be holy like God is holy, is a burden that is too heavy to bear if we bear it in our sinful flesh. But oh, if we receive this exhortation as those born of the Spirit of God, those adopted sons and daughters of God, as beloved children of God, then brothers and sisters in Christ, let us be glad and filled with joy, filled with joy to imitate our God. Let us be full of zeal to walk in love and to walk in light as God's beloved children. Therefore, Paul says, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love. Walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Oh, that we may comprehend the depths of the love of God for those in Jesus Christ. Consider just in this, this letter alone that we've been considering this year. Consider how much God loves us. Chapter 1, in love, Paul says, in love, God predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ. Chapter 2, because of God's great love, his great love, through which he loved us. Even when we were dead in our sins, God made us alive with Jesus Christ. And in chapter 3, Paul prays that we would be rooted and grounded in the love of God, that we would know that we would know the love of Christ. But how does Paul describe that love of Christ? A love that surpasses knowledge. Paul is praying for a miracle, that we would know the love of Christ, a, a love that is unknowable in our sinful flesh. This great love, this love that plans from before the foundations of the world to adopt us as sons. This is the love of God for us. And here in verse 2, Paul roots and he grounds the love of Christ for us in the death of Christ for us on the cross. Walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. The Apostle John echoes this truth in 1 John 4.10. 1 John 4.10, John says, this is love. This is love. Not that we've loved God, but that God loved us and that he gave his son to be the propitiation for our sins. This is love. Not that we've loved God, but God loved us and sent his son to die on the cross to be the wrath-bearing propitiation for our sins. And so the church sings, here is love. Here is love, vast as the ocean, loving kindness as a flood, when the prince of life, our ransom, shed for us his precious blood. Beloved, do you ever wonder if God loves you? Do you ever wonder if God loves you? How can we know? How can we know that God loves us even in the midst of the trials and tribulations of this fleeting life? How can we know that God loves us? Romans 8.32 He, that is God the Father, He who did not spare His own Son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not with him graciously give us all things? So the church sings, on the mount of crucifixion, 
on the Mount of Crucifixion, fountains open deep and wide. Through the floodgates of God's mercy flowed a vast and gracious tide. Grace and love like mighty rivers poured incessant from above. Heaven's peace and perfect justice kissed a guilty world in love. In love. So my unbelieving friend, my unbelieving friend, this is the key to it all. We are all guilty in our sin. We are all guilty in our sin. We are all cursed by the fall. But God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that all who should entrust themselves to him by faith, all that would believe upon him will not perish under God's perfect justice but will experience the fatherly kiss of love. Friend, would you come to Jesus Christ today? Would you come to Jesus Christ today? Well, brothers and sisters, we walk in love because Christ loved us and he gave himself for us. And so we imitate God when we imitate Jesus Christ by walking in self-sacrificial love. Self-sacrificial love. And what we learn here from our our text and, and the context of what Paul is saying is that the primary way that we show forth our self-sacrificial love is rather countercultural. It's countercultural in the world and perhaps even countercultural in the church. You might think that Paul would say, walk in love and here's a list of good deeds to do. Here's a list of deeds of mercy, tangible ways that we can show we love people. That's not what Paul does. Instead, Paul does not give us deeds of mercy as evidence of walking in love. As great as those things are, and hear me, those are wonderful things to do. Elsewhere, Scripture calls us to to love in tangible ways. But here, in this verse, Paul says we imitate God by walking in love, by sacrificing the selfish deeds of our sinful flesh. By sacrificing the selfish deeds of our sinful flesh. What does Paul say in verse 3? He says in verse 2, walk in love as Christ loved us and gave, us, gave himself up for us. Verse 3, but sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place. Or, as the Lord Jesus said in John 14, 15, if you love me, obey my commands. If you love me, obey my commands. And so, brothers and sisters, if we love the Lord Jesus Christ, we will make no provision for the flesh. If we love Jesus Christ, we will make no provision for the flesh. We will wage war against the lusts of our flesh that show forth in sexual immorality and impurity. Beloved, love God by fleeing pornography. Love God by fleeing fornication. Love God by fleeing adultery or any thoughts thereof. Beloved, love God by fleeing homosexuality and transgenderism and any other wicked sexual immorality that holds itself up against the love and the holiness and the knowledge of God. 
flee, wage war against these sins. Brothers and sisters, if we love the Lord Jesus, we will wage war against our discontented hearts that show forth in covetousness. And beloved, the the root of your sexual immorality, the root of your greed, the root of your discontented grumbling is simply a desire, a coveting of that, that which is not yours in God's providence. And so, brothers and sisters, do not covet your neighbor's wife. Do not covet your neighbor's servant. Do not covet your neighbor's house or position or wealth. Do not covet. These things are not proper. Sexual immorality, impurity, covetousness, which is idolatry. These things are not proper among the holy, beloved children of God. And notice that Paul even says they ought not even be named among us. And so, beloved, if, if any of you are ever tempted to qualify your identification as a Christian with a sexually immoral, impure, covetous, or any other kind of sinful adjective, repent. Repent. It is sufficient enough that you are a beloved child of God. It is sufficient enough that you are a Christian. Sexual immorality and impurity and covetousness must not even be named among us. So brothers and sisters, if we love the Lord Jesus, we will wage war against sexual immorality and impurity and covetousness, and we will wage war against our foolish and filthy tongues. From the overflow of the mouth, the heart speaks. And so, beloved, examine your mouths to see what your heart really loves. Examine your mouths to see what your heart really loves. Well, the Apostle Paul, he also offers us here a remedy, a remedy to walking in sexual immorality and covetous hearts, a remedy to foolish mouths. And that is a heart and a mouth filled with thankfulness. A heart and a mouth filled with thankfulness. And beloved, don't we have so much to be thankful for? What great love has the Father shown us in Jesus Christ to take us from being children of God's wrath to beloved children of God. Our God is not a cosmic killjoy. He's not walking around hoping to keep all the pleasures and joys of life from us. No, our God is the good Father who leads leads us along the paths of wisdom and of righteousness. He has made known to us the path of life, that in his presence there is fullness of joy. And at his right hand are pleasures forevermore. This is our God who leads us in this path of joy and pleasure. So let us pray together for the Spirit's help in cultivating in this congregation thankful hearts and thankful mouths. But with this remedy, the Apostle Paul also offers a warning. He also offers a warning. For those who name the name of Christ and continue to walk in the ways of the world, those who habitually, regularly follow the prince of the power of the air with no true repentance. 
Paul says we can be sure. We can be sure that such a person has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Rather, Paul says these persons remain under the wrath of Almighty God. You know, the interesting thing about warnings in the Bible is that warnings like this, they tend to result in one of two responses. Some people hear these biblical warnings and they respond by hiding their sin even deeper in the darkness. Presumably they do so to protect their own pride from the embarrassment of being found out. Perhaps to protect the sin itself from the sin-killing light of the Lord because they cherish the darkness rather than the light. The Apostle Paul says that that response to such a warning is no option for the Christian in Christ's church. Instead, Paul says, beloved, as we walk in love, we ought to also walk in light. Walk in light. Look at verse 7 through 14 with me. Therefore, Paul says, do not become partners with them, that is those who walk in darkness. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. Notice two things here in these verses. First, light and darkness do not mix. Light and darkness do not mix. Here, Paul says that Christians, those who are light in the Lord, should not partner with those who practice darkness. I don't think that Paul has in mind an absolute separation from those in darkness. Elsewhere, Jesus himself says that Christians would have to be taken out of the world to avoid, uh, or to avoid uh, sinfulness and darkness, to achieve perfect, perfect separation from sin. Not to mention the fact that we have indwelling sin in our own lives. But rather, I think Paul here is teaching us that Christians are not to participate with those sons of disobedience in their dark and evil acts. In Romans 1, Paul says, it is wicked to even give a hint of approval to those who practice such things. And so there are clear boundaries. There are lines that we ought not cross as we walk in light in this dark wilderness of the world. And we need to be mindful of that. We need to have the courage, church, to not cross those lines and to be clear about them. We ought not tiptoe up to them, look over them, fiddle with it. No, Paul says don't even give a hint of approval to it. And yet also Paul recognizes that there is a need for wisdom in these matters. That it will not always be so clear what the right course of action is. That there may not be a black and white answer. That there may be some graying really because of our own sinful minds and hearts. We want to be careful to discern what is the right thing, not what is the almost right thing, as Spurgeon said. And so we read in verse 10, try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. This means that we need God's word. 
We need God's word. He has spoken to us. He has given us direction. We need the illumination of the Holy Spirit. We need wise counselors in the church to help us discern, to exercise wisdom and understanding, and to act in a way that pleases the Lord. Light and darkness do not mix. And we need the light of God's word with the help of God's spirit in God's church to walk in light through the dark wilderness of this world. We cannot do this on our own, and God, by his grace, has not left us to do it on our own. Secondly, in these verses, notice that light exposes darkness. Light exposes darkness. Paul could not be more explicit in verse 11. Look at verse 11. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness but instead expose them. Light and darkness do not mix. Light exposes the darkness. The reason we expose the darkness is to know sin and to kill sin. We expose the darkness to know sin and kill sin. Beloved, we walk in light so that those in darkness may know their sin. Verse 12, for it is shameful to even speak of the things done in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. So we want to shine the light so that we will know sin. We will know their sin. They will know their sin. Jesus said, you, the church, are the light of the world. A city set upon a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but they put it on a stand to give light to all, to give light to all. And beloved, we also need to know that as we shine the light of God's word into the world, that as we walk in light, We not only walk in light to shine the light into the world, but more than that, we walk in light to shine the light in the church. In the church. We walk in light so that each one of us can grow more and more in the light. None of us is fully in the light in a a sanctified sense. We are growing growing in our sanctification. We have been transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. That is true. And once we are in the kingdom of light, we walk further and further and further into the light together as the light of the world. And so that means, beloved, that means that we need to be confessing our sin to each other. We need to be open and honest about the sin in our lives and confess it. Bring it out into the light through private confession one to another. We need to expose our sin to the light of God's word by God's spirit in God's church. Brothers and sisters of University Park Baptist Church, members of this church, this is why we practice church discipline. The church of Christ is a city upon a hill, a light to the world. And we know, sadly, from time to time, there occurs in the church sins that must be brought into the light. Not just the light of private confessions one to another, but the light of the whole body of Christ. And so I imagine Paul had in mind when he was writing this section of Ephesians, that section uh, that he had written about eight or nine years earlier in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, where a member of the Corinthian church had committed a grievous sexual sin. And there in 1 Corinthians 5, Paul instructed the Corinthians to hand that man over to Satan, to expel the wicked person from among them. And so, beloved, we too, from time to time, may be called on to expel that person from among us. And as we do this, 
As we expose our sin, both individually through private confession, corporately through church discipline, to the light of God's word and God's spirit in God's church, then we pray that by God's grace and in the power of God's spirit, we will kill the sin that remains in our wicked hearts. Paul says, for anything that becomes visible is light. It is light. The darkness of sin, when brought into the light of God's word, by God's spirit, in God's church, becomes the light of righteousness and purity in the Lord. This is our individual hope and our corporate hope when we exercise church discipline in the manner I just mentioned. You know, in that Corinthian matter, and in in 1 Corinthians, Paul says that in removing that person from among us, we hand that person over to Satan for the destruction of their sinful flesh, so that, so that his spirit may be saved on the day of the Lord. This is why we can kill the sinful passions of our hearts when we bring it into the light. This is why corporately we bring sins into the light of the church for church discipline, is our hope is that God would save us from these sins. This is what Paul means in his compilation of Old Testament quotes in Ephesians 5.14. Philip read for us these various quotes earlier in the service. And here in verse 14, it seems that Paul has taken an apostolic liberty to put these verses together in, in kind of a compilation quote. And here he does so to make a rather simple point. And so my unbelieving friend, if you've checked out a long time ago, please give me your attention now. Please give me your attention. You will want to hear this. In verse 14 of chapter 5, the Apostle Paul is saying that Jesus Christ will make you light in the Lord. He will do it. If only you would give yourself to him and bring your sin into the light. That as surely as those who practice darkness have no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God, so surely those in Jesus Christ by faith will be awakened from their sinful slumber, will be raised from their dreadful death, and the Lord Jesus Christ himself will shine upon you. He will save you from your sin. And he will do that. He will will empower you by his spirit to walk in love and walk in light, surely in this life but all the more in the life to come. And so turn from your sinful darkness and entrust yourself by faith to the light of the world, the Lord Jesus Christ. And beloved children, be imitators of God by walking in love and walking in light. And beloved, as we walk in love and we walk in light, we need to be reminded as we close this morning that we are walking together to a destination. This momentary life with all of its momentary afflictions is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory. And so we walk through the dark wilderness of this world by God's grace and by his spirit and with his church, with our eyes firmly affixed upon that city of light that is to come. I did not see a temple in that city because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it for the glory of God gives it light and the Lamb 
is its lamp. The nations will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring splendor into it. On no day will its gates ever be shut, for there will be no night there. The glory and honor of the nations we brought into it, nothing impure will ever enter it, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, down the middle of that great street of that great city. And on each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing twelve crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month, and the leaves of the tree are for the healing of nations. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in that city, and his servants will serve him, and they will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign with him forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. God in heaven, we are thankful for your word. God, we do pray that by your spirit's power that we would walk as beloved children, that we would walk in love and that we would walk in light. God, we pray that we would remove from us, purge from us, that you would by your spirit work in us so that we would not have any of these sins named among us. We pray that we would walk in light and we would expose sin to the light, to your light, and that you would disinfect us of it, that you would take it from us, and that you would make us light in the Lord. We pray, God, that you would do this for the great glory of Jesus Christ and for the good of your church, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.